meant the book of Joel, and you say, where is that? It could be where all your pages are stuck together. So if you can find the book of Joel, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, if you have to use the index, that's just fine. But I would like you, if you have an electronic device and you do have a Bible app, just take a minute, open up your Bible app so your eyes can rest upon the Word of God here in a moment. I know it will be on the screen, but it just gives you an opportunity to become more comfortable and more at home with your Bible because the Bible is God talking to you. And so the more you have a relationship with the Word of God, then the clearer the things of God become in your life and in my life because it's the primary way in which God communicates with His people is through His written Word. And so I value the Word of God and I want you to have an opportunity to join me here in a moment. Then the second opening is found in the Gospel of John. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, fourth book in the New Testament. So Joel chapter 3, John chapter 7. And while you're looking those up, I'll pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the next few minutes that I have the privilege, the honor of sharing your word with your people. I thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you that you're worthy of our praise, our glory, and our honor. And Lord, we just have an expectancy this morning of the good things that you want to show us, reveal to us, and help us to walk in. And we give you the glory and the honor for this. In the name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now, if you're a note taker, let me give you the title of today's message. The title of today's message is, Busy Doesn't Have to Be Bad. Busy does not have to be bad. And what I'm really going to be talking about is quality decision-making and proper priorities. But that's not sexy enough, so I say busy doesn't have to be bad. So when you say busy doesn't have to be bad, everyone says, oh yeah, but you don't know my life. And that's true, I may not know your life, but I do know the story of life overall, and somewhere we all fit into that. And I believe that God's Word helps us to live life in such a way and at such a pace in a rhythm that it's sustainable God does not want us to burn out God wants us to bear fruit and to continue to bear fruit not only for our lives but to further his kingdom and that's a very important principle so we're going to talk about busy doesn't have to be bad but before I do that just in case you may not get anything from the message I do have another message before I get into the message. And this is a message that I share everywhere I go because I want people to know the meaning of life. So here it is. If you've never discovered the meaning of life, I want to give that to you before I bring the message from God's Word this morning. It goes like this. On the first day, God created the dog. And God said, sit all the day by the door of your house and bark at anyone who comes by. I'll give you a lifespan of 20 years. And the dog said, that's too long to be barking and sitting on the porch. Give me 10 years and I'll give you another 10 back. And God said, that's fair. Then on the second day, God created the monkey. And God said, entertain people and do monkey tricks all day. Make them laugh and I'll give you a 20-year lifespan. And the monkey protested and he said, how boring and how dry to sit around and entertain people for 20 years. I'll tell you what. The dog gave you 10 years back, so can I give you 10 years back? And God said, that's fair, to the monkey. Then on the third day, God created the cow. And God said, you must go out into the field with the farmer all day long and suffer and labor under the sun. 
have calves and give milk to support the farmer and the community. And I'll give you a lifespan of 40 years. And the cow said, that's a tough life. You want me to live for 60 years. So let me do this. Let me live for 20 and I'll give 40 back to you. And then on the fourth day, God created man. And God said, eat, sleep, play, marry, and enjoy your life. And I'll give you 20 years to live. And the man said, what? Only 20 years? I'll tell you what. I'll take my 20 years and I'll add the 40 years that the cow gave you, the 10 years that the monkey gave you, and the 10 years that the, and the dog gave you. And that makes 80 years. And the Lord said, okay, if you want to live for 80 years, that's fine with me. So this is why for the first 20 years of our lives, we eat, sleep, play, and enjoy ourselves. For the next 40 years, we slave under the sun to support our family. The next 10 years, we do monkey tricks to entertain the grandkids. And for the last 10 years, we sit on the front porch and bark at everyone who comes by. And that is the meaning of life, in case you didn't know. I don't know what season you're in, so I'm not calling you a dog or a monkey or a cow. I'm just saying, in case you didn't know, now you know. So, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Joel writes this in the 14th verse of the third chapter. He said, Multitudes and multitudes are in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. You know, we live in a very complex world today, and if you were to talk to people and interact with them just conversationally, you ask, how are you doing? How's your life going? What's happening? Most people say, I am busy. But the way they say it is a concern to me. They say it with regret, almost with remorse, like, my life is really too complicated. It's too tough. It's too difficult. It's hard. My life is busy. Busy doesn't, you know, symbolically mean I'm fulfilled, I'm happy, I'm joyful, I'm content. It means life is not just, life is not fair. And in essence, what they're saying, without saying it, is I don't think God gave me a very good life. I don't think that the life that I have is really a very good life at all. And they've come to a wrong conclusion. You know, they, they've come to a place where they've analyzed their life based on their season or their circumstance, and they haven't really understood that God is good. While they may know the phrase, they haven't experienced the reality of His goodness. And, and while they, you know, may have an idea of who Jesus is, they really haven't understood why He came and what's he, what He really wants to do in their life. And because of that, they fill their life and their calendar with activities and events hoping that will satisfy their longing soul. But it doesn't. It just causes our well to be more and more depleted, and a depleted well is soon an empty well, and an empty well is a dry well, and a dry well is when people say, I'm busy, but it doesn't sound like they're very happy. Can you relate? But this is what I want to encourage you with. How many people are in the valley of decision? It said multitudes and multitudes. So here's the trick of the enemy. You're the only one whose life isn't really very fulfilling. Everybody else looks like they have a fulfilling life. Just go to social media. It looks like everybody's having fun but you. Amen. But social media isn't really reality, correct? 
people put the best part of what they want other people to see, but it's really not something that you can say, wow, that really has substance, that really has depth. They put cute little sayings up there, they put a lot of photos up there, but it's not really what's going on in their life. It's what potentially they want people to believe is going on in their life, but it's not a picture of what really is going on for the most part. So there's a lots of other people that are in the same place as you are. And the enemy always says, you're the only one. And if he can isolate us, of course, he can take us out. That's one of his schemes is that if I can isolate someone, then I can deceive them and I can take them down. And so that's why community is so important. That's why the body of Christ has many members and every member is significant. We're all knit together. So where is the Lord in this valley? Scripture says the Lord is near. But because someone's life is so preoccupied with their own agenda, their own activities, their own events, their own plans, they don't even see the Lord. They're unaware that He is present, that He's near. Scripture said He's always with us. And yet because we're sort of shrouded in all of this activity and events and responsibility and duties, then we just wonder, where is the Lord? Where is the Lord? And He is right there. And I want to encourage you that you're not alone and the Lord is right there. You're not alone and the Lord is right there. And so it's been said by someone who's smarter and wiser than me that if Satan can't stop us from walking with God by tempting us and baiting us to live a life of sin, he will tempt us to fill our lives and our calendars to the place that we are too busy for any of God's purposes. But busy doesn't have to be bad. As you and I become more aware of the enemy's tactics, and the enemy's tactic is very simple. He wants to deceive us. So that's the proverbial carrot thing. You know, he gets us, you know, longing and looking at something that's in front of us that we believe that we deserve, something that you know, is ours, and he gets us chasing that, but he always keeps it at arm's length, and we grasp, and we grope, and we reach, but we can never obtain. So he's a deceiver, and a deceiver, of course, is someone who premeditates what he's going to do. It's, it's malicious. It's intentional. And so if we understand that he is a deceiver and a liar by nature, the way that we can prevent ourselves from chasing that proverbial carrot as Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will bring liberty or freedom into your life. Freedom from, you know, feeling like your worth and your value is because of all the things that you do. Isn't that a trick of the enemy? The more you do, the more important you are. The more valuable you are. The more significant you are. And I just think that we have to be careful because that's a slippery slope. And while we're called into good works, our good works come from a place of grace and not duty and obligation. I do what I do because I can't help but do it because God has been good to me and not the reverse order. So the goodness of God is something that I've tasted, I've seen that He's good, and my response to His goodness is, what can I do for you, Lord? So through my good works, I'm not trying to obtain the favor of God, 
My good works come because I have experienced the favor of God. And then that makes my relationship life-giving. I wake up in the morning and say, my life is in your hands, Lord. Where would you want me to go and what would you want me to do? Now, certain things are already set in place. If you have a family, you have a ministry. It's right there within your home. And you can start there, and starting there is a great place to start. Where you work is built in to your daily responsibility. So don't, don't think that the Lord is just going to say, quit your job, leave your family, and then I'll take you to the four corners of the world. That is just like the craziest thought in the world, but that's the way that sometimes people think that they could really honor God with their life. If I, if, I, if I went to Africa, if I went to Asia, if I went to India, what about doing something at home and being a light and a blessing at work? Isn't that important? <laughs> uh, I mean, we always, we always wonder, you know, and, and when we pray those kind of prayers or someone comes in and, and is sharing sort of the story of, of God working in their life and from the Word of God, like I am this morning, you wonder... Like, wow, I wonder where Pastor Doug has been, and I wonder where he's gone, and wonder what he's seen, and wonder how God's used him. And, and I, I want to say that I, I'm really happy at home, and I'm really content in pastoring and caring for God's people in our community, and being very mindful that there's a kingdom that is work that's going on around the world. So I believe in the local church, I believe in the family. As a matter of fact, God believes in the family. He's the one that designed it. He believes in the local church. And of course, he created the world, so he believes in missions and supporting missionary work. Now, the devil always wants it to somehow be so sexy and filled with glitter and filled with glory that sometimes it makes us look good when we tell the story. Right. Let me tell you all the things that I've been doing for the Lord, how busy I've been for the Lord. All the good things I've been doing for the Lord. And, and the problem with that is we are the center of attention. Somehow we have to get more secure, get our root systems deeper in Christ to where it's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that is such a key to contentment and godliness and having fulfillment. So you've got to understand how the enemy works. Secondly... We have to be aware that we have weaknesses of the flesh. Uh, my flesh is not redeemed. I, I, is yours? The flesh is the flesh is the flesh is the flesh. So all day long, every day long, all your life long, the flesh is as selfish as it can be and it's never going to change its nature. So we're asked to do one thing to the flesh. Kill it! Crucify it. And you do that by learning how to submit to the Spirit. Because if you, through the Spirit, do put to death, the Greek word there is mortify. It's where we get our English word, right? Mortician. If you put to death the deeds of the body through the power of the Spirit, here's the promise. You live. You cannot overcome the nature or the power of the flesh in your own might. You can't will yourself to be strong. The Christian is to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. So it's a divine setup. 
that God gives us opportunity to depend on Him. Amen. To detempt. So you've got to know your enemy and his tactics. You have to understand there's weaknesses of the flesh. If you want to know what they're like, Galatians chapter 5 gives you a pretty good laundry list. And then it, it concludes, I think, it's, I think God has a sense of humor. And he says, and anything that looks like this, smells like this, walks like this, or talks like that, that's the flesh. So he lists all of these tendencies that the flesh wants to do. And in the middle of it, it's all about us. And then he says, anything that I've left out that you can think of, just add it to the list. And then he goes on and he says, but the fruit or the evidence of God's Spirit working in your life. And then he says, there's nine ways that you and I can identify when God is at work within us. And it all starts with love. And that compels us and that motivates us. And then it gives us the list. And then he makes this statement. I think it's absolutely amazing. And he says there's no law that can govern the activity of the Spirit in your life. In other words, you have potential. You know, when you talk about laws, you talk about you know, uh, parameters that have been put in place to protect people. But what Scripture is telling us, when it comes to the work of the Spirit, there are no parameters. You can have love and you can have it to the fullness. You can have joy and you can have it to the fullness. You can have peace you can have it to the fullness. You can have meekness and gentleness and kindness and temperance and self-control. You can have it as much as you want. How many of you have uh, ever endeavored to grow something that produces like fruit or vegetables? And uh, if you've ever had like an apple tree, I know there's apple orchards in this area and it's famous for it. And so the first several years, they don't even produce fruit. But then as you water and prune them and you prepare them, the third year they start producing. But if you don't continue to prune them, then you can right, overtax the tree and it doesn't produce fruit anymore. And so what the Spirit does is He's really good at just eliminating the influence of the flesh from our life so there's more work of the Spirit. Amen. So if you make and I make room for the work of the Spirit of God in our life, you're going to be more fruitful and you're going to be fulfilled. Your life is going to start to be more full but also more fulfilling Amen. because you're living life in a good rhythm and with the help of the Holy Spirit. And you're not trying to do it. You're allowing the Spirit to help you. And that's what Jesus said is that I have to go away and when I go away, it's really important that you understand I'm not leaving you alone. The Spirit is coming to help you. Amen. And when He comes, these are the things He's going to do. He's going to help you. He's going to be a comfort to you. He's going to teach you. So you've got to know the devil. You've got to know the weakness of the flesh. And the third thing is, you guys, you all know this, but I'm just bringing it to your remembrance. You have to understand there's a pull to go back to the world. And if the devil can get you, like, get a foothold, he'll get a stronghold. If he can get one foot back into the world, he will pull the rest of you there. Right, years ago, I went and took my family to the Outer Banks of North Carolina for uh, 
a vacation. And it's an interesting place, uh, sort of where north meets south in the Atlantic Ocean. So you have all the cold water coming down from the northeast, and you have all the warm water coming up from the Caribbean. And it meets at the Outer Banks, and it's a place that's notorious for riptides. And so growing up around the water in the south, when I, when I was a boy, I was aware of riptides. But my son at the time, who was 10 years old, didn't understand the power of the riptide. And I said, when you go out on the beach, son, I said, you can't go out in the water until mom and dad get there, especially if you see a red flag. That means stay out of the water because riptides are in the area. Well, you know how 10-year-olds can be, have a mind of their own, and so he got his swimsuit on like that. I, I think he actually wore his swimsuit under his clothes on the airplane. By the time we got to the Outer Banks, he just took his clothes off. He was out the back door and he was on the beach. Whereas mom and I, you know, we're in there getting our swimsuits on and getting the gear ready. And I go out, he's a quarter mile out in the ocean. And he, he's a good swimmer, but he can't fight that current. And what am I saying to you? Don't stick your foot in the water. Because you get a quarter mile out there in a hurry. And I was there and I went out and I rescued him. And then we had a come to Jesus meeting on the beach. And he was told that he couldn't go back in the water for the rest of the trip. That wasn't Jesus, that was dad. And then my wife looked at me and she said, <clears throat> mercy triumphs over judgment. I said, okay, half a day. A little bit of pain. Right, a little bit of pain. So you remember... And so you don't and I don't want to get sucked out Amen. into the current of this world and be somewhere we never thought we would be again. Amen. It's that slippery. So be careful. Be wise. All right. Let me give you uh, another reading. John's Gospel. Is this still okay? John's Gospel, chapter 7. And this is a story of Jesus and his brothers. And his brothers really don't have Jesus or the Father's agenda in mind. It says in verse 1, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, and he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jewish feast of tabernacles was at hand, and his brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your uh, disciples may also see the works that you are doing. They wanted him to go somewhere that he didn't even want to go. I don't know if you've ever had people like that that have tried to pull you into places that you say, it's not good for me to go there. Last time I was there, I mean, there was a wanted poster <laughs> in, in the post office, and, and I, I don't want to go back, and somehow I'm not celebrated there. And then in verse 5, and it says, uh, because even Jesus' brothers didn't really believe in him. Verse 6, Then Jesus said to them, My time has not come yet, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its works are evil. So we have to be aware and careful, not only of, right, the devil, the weaknesses of the flesh and the world, but of people that try to manipulate us to go places and do things out of God's timing. Because some people have an agenda, and they might even be a relative. Oh, come on, it's not that bad. Just, you know, come on, just one more time, one more, just for old time's sake. Let's just go over there, and, and let's just show everybody, just prove to everybody. 
And Jesus didn't need to prove anything to anybody. Amen. And either do you. Because that's the wrong kind of pressure. He said, my father does the work. So he just wanted to sort of navigate life in a way that was pleasing to the Lord. So I want to give you something to consider. Are you ready for some real practical nuggets? All right, here it is. These are some things I want you to consider when you're making decisions. And, and I'm not talking about what, what kind of cologne you put on or perfume or if you're going to get your hair permanent or, or get color in it or what kind of clothes you're going to wear. And, and, and here's maybe some of you ladies at lunch can help me solve this mystery. I've never seen a permanent in a woman that was permanent. I'll leave it there. Okay. <laughs> I should call them temporaries. All right, number one. Don't be hasty. Amen. Don't be hasty. He that believeth, Scripture says, will not make haste. I mean, you got to do it right now. I got to do it right now. I got to do it right now. I got to do it. You're a day late and a dollar short. <laughs> if you would have been here yesterday, yep. don't be hasty. Amen. So don't get in a hurry. Don't get ahead of God. And number two is don't get behind God. Don't be lazy and slothful. Don't be one of those Christians that says, well, you know, if God wants it done, I guess He'll do it. No, He does it with us. Amen. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever said, God, if you want that done, just go do it? Like, He's our errand boy. That's so disrespectful. Amen. Right, number three, don't draw back. This is the fear factor. This is where I want to encourage you, if it's new to you, it's not new to God. Trust Him. But don't be afraid to take a step of faith. Don't draw back. Don't say, no, give this to somebody else, God. I'm not qualified. You know how those conversations went in the Bible. God didn't change his mind. The reason he doesn't change his mind is because he asked you to do it intentionally. He believes in you. Have enough confidence in God that he believes in you. So don't draw back. Number four. Be mindful of God's promises. Amen. That's what's going to uphold you because things don't happen overnight. Amen. So hold on to the promises of God. Wrap yourself in the promises of God and they will hold you up. The storm is going to come. It's a given. But if you wrap yourself in the promises of God when it comes to decision makings, you will eliminate your doubts. Hallelujah. You'll eliminate them. Amen. Number five. Expect the Holy Spirit's help. Yeah, Expect it. Say, Holy Spirit, thank you for helping me. Amen. Where I go and what I do, I thank you that you empower me. You give me grace. You give me wisdom. You give me favor. Include Him in. It's His plan. Don't just say, yeah, yeah, I hear you, and then just take off like a bullet. Number six, decision-making. These are just... Things that we need to be mindful of is follow peace. Colossians 3.16 says that peace governs our life the way an umpire governs a sporting event. Umpires are there not to play the game, but to share someone with the players and with the participants that this is acceptable, this is not acceptable. And he does it through the avenue of peace. And peace isn't something that is fleeting, peace is something that stays. So you can have a lot of wind and a lot of turbulence around you, and internally you're like, it's okay. I'm good with this. I have peace. The old hymn, I have peace like a river, 
Not every river is a lazy river. Amen. There can be some turbulent waters, but I have peace. I have peace. So follow peace. Let peace be your umpire. This is acceptable. This is not acceptable. And then the last thing, number seven, is choose life. And so you're looking at making a decision. Is this going to enhance my life or is this going to be a shipwreck in my life? Don't let someone dogpile their problems on you. Some people have to make their own decisions. Right. Right. Proper priorities. Where are we at? We're in the valley of decision. How many people are with us? A lot of others. Where's the Lord? He's really near. What are we aware of? We're aware that, yeah, we have a real enemy. I'm aware I have weaknesses. I'm aware there's a pull in this world. But what am I also aware of? I'm aware that the Lord is near. So he's my priority. I mean, God is my foundation, my firm foundation on which I stand. Christ and Christ alone. If you're married, your, your marriage is second. All right, if you're single, then, you know, you just go right into another category called work. So if you're married and you have children, your marriage and your children are next. And, and your children are going to be best when your marriage is healthy because then that's a great example to your children. Okay? So then you have, after your children, you have work. After work, you have hobbies and interest. This is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to invert that. All right? Hobbies and interest. He wants you to just plan your whole life around hobbies and interests. Why? Because you can get so busy with that that all you can think about is, I have to keep working to take care of my hobbies and interests. You know, uh, Pastor Keenan and I joke that the two greatest days... Uh, and you guys know the joke, so I'll start it, and in your mind you can finish it. For anyone who's ever bought a boat is the day they bought it and the day they... Two days, that's it. All the other days are make-believe. Right. <laughs> but hobbies and interest. There's a place for that, but don't get your priorities out of place. And then, you know, people have hobbies and interests, then they live vicariously through their children. If they have their children, their children are going to be bigger, faster, smarter than what they are. And then their marriage comes next, and what they have left for their marriage is leftovers. And then what they have left for God is called fumes. They don't have anything left for God. So that's, that's priorities. Let me, let me give you an example of where this is in Scripture and why I can have such confidence in saying that if you and I are going to make quality decisions, we have to consider, we have to consider, you know, some of the things that I've already talked about, but if we're going to have a rhythm in our life that is sustainable, that's fulfilling, that's fruitful, that we just really love sharing with other people about what the Lord has done for our life. You know, God took our life that was in chaos because of sin and He brought order to it. Just like He did the universe when He created it. 
But if you look with me in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, you're going to see here, hopefully, that there are three reasons or excuses that people give for not following or surrendering or submitting to the Lord. In other words, they've got their priorities wrong and they're not making good decisions. Let's pick up in the 15th verse. It says, Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant to, uh, at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go see it and I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servants, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there's room. Then the master said to the servant, Go into the highways and the hedges of the byways and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. So I say that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. So here's the three excuses that people give for not having their priorities in place, for not doing the will of God first, and believing that as they do the will of God and seek the kingdom of God first, he'll add everything to them. Number one is what? I just bought. I just bought a new boat. I need to go test it out. Recreation. Man, I bought a new bow and arrow. I, I, I just, I bought that. I need to go. I, I just invested in this. I, let me get some dividend out of my investment. Come on, excuse me. I, I've got a legitimate reason. Recreation. Number two is work. I mean, I, I just added to my workforce. I just expanded my business. I just bought five more oxen. I need to go see how they're doing. And all of these things have their place. They're not evil until they take the place of Jesus. Until they take the place of us being a light and a blessing and a witness to other people. What, what's the third? Family. I just got married. Hey, hey, give me a break. You know, family, Pastor Keenan. Kids are gone, you know. I want my kids to do things that I never got a chance to do. So, you know, they're going to dance, and I don't care if it's on Sunday. They're going to go, because you know what? They're going to be one of these days a ballerina in the Metropolitan Opera. And I'm like, no, no, you're not from Russian descent. You have no ballerinas in your family. They could be a good dancer, a good ballerina, but they could do that within the framework of a lot of different ways without substituting, listen to this, Gold for brass. Amen. Amen. They look a lot alike. They don't have near the value. And that's the way a lot of people are living. Man, I'm busy. I'm busy, man. Just all these things, you know, I, uh, all these investments, work, my family. And they say it like they hate all of it. They don't like it. So some people even start to self-medicate. 
Instead of finding fulfillment and getting full in the presence of God, I mean, they just, the door is open and they stick their foot in the door and they're a quarter mile out to sea and you're like, oh. You know, if it was another five minutes, I wouldn't have a son here on earth. He'd be in heaven, but he wouldn't be here on the earth. And sometimes, you know, there's people that are in close proximity to you that can pull you out of the miry clay, and sometimes you get so far out, I mean, it's hard to navigate back. It's hard to navigate back. So just don't tempt the Lord that way. Amen. David said, and this is like one of the most successful people that has ever, King David, said, I was glad when they said to me, man, let's go to the house of the Lord. But you know what he said before that? He said, I observed all the ways of man and I wondered, I wondered what use is there of me serving the Lord? It looks like the wicked are prospering. It looks like the ungodly are being promoted. It looks like the world is the place to be and where everything's happening until I went into the house of the Lord. Then I remembered. Then I remembered. It's amazing what happens when you put God in His proper place and you keep Him there. You fight to keep Him there. How the good work He began in you, He'll be faithful to complete. He'll be faithful to complete. It's a good work. Let Him work. Let Him work. So I want to finished by reading out of my journal. I wrote this this morning. Improper priorities produce unhealthy affections which impact our decision and our decision making. We can become so subjective, so emotional that we forget that we're to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So what do we do if we're not making good decisions? Or if our priorities are out of place? It's real simple. We change our mind, which is called repentance. We let God's ways become our ways once again. We start making our decisions based on a sure foundation of truth and faith. And we keep our priorities in their proper place. No one can take the place of God. My marriage has value because before I had kids, I had my marriage. Work has its place. And you know what? God makes sure that your hobbies and your interests are well taken care of. Amen. Where I live, we have uh, a lot of sportsmen. And, and I, I imagine you have that here too. People that hunt and fish and trap year round. And, and, uh, and, and many of them do it because it's a, it's a source of food for their family. And I, and I get that. So they harvest year round. And there was a man that I didn't see for like two or three months in church. And I didn't doubt his love for God, but I did question where his love for God lined up in his priorities. So I talked to him about that and I prayed with him and I said, I want you to put God to the test. I want you to be in church whenever we gather. And I want you to see what happens when you go hunt and fish. He said, okay. I said, I want you to do it for three months. I want it to be long enough that you can actually measure what happens. I want you to keep a journal. I said, okay. I said, you know how much you catch and trap and hunt and fish? You know what your harvest is? Yeah. 
He came back after three months and he said to me, I'll never miss again. If I'm in the area, I'll be here. If I'm on vacation, I'm going to go find somewhere else to worship. I'll never miss again. God has blessed the work of my hand more than I could ever imagine. It's like the fish find my net. I said, yeah, they do. It's like the buck, right? The big buck, you know, big buck, big, he's coming across the, yeah, the big buck coming. 14 point, yeah. Got him on. And the big buck videos, all you guys that watch the big buck, big buck coming across, yeah. You've been eyeing him with your camera for months, and you can never see him in person until you put God first, and all of a sudden, God says, get out there, little buck. Go make someone some tenderloins. It's amazing. Amazing. I had a man that was delivered from uh, drugs and alcohol, gloriously saved, but after six months, you know, he got pulled back in through some aligning himself with some unhealthy relationships. So we're not here to condemn. So I went to him in a spirit of meekness to try to support him, and, and I visit with him, and he said, you know, I said, what? Can you identify what caused you to go back? And he said, yeah. He said, I think God is like, like too demanding. I said, really? I said, that's an, that's an interesting indictment against God. And I said, can you explain? Make it, make it real with it. He said, yeah, the tithe. The tithe. I said, what about the tithe? He said, you know, I just don't think that's right that he expects me to give 10% of my income. I said, okay. I, I said, I, I have a question for you. When you were in the world and you were buying drugs and you were buying alcohol, how much of your income went to that? What percentage? And was it blessed? And he said, uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> let me get my, <clears throat> let me get my, my thoughts together. 25%, 30 I just started helping him. I was like the auctioneer, 40, 50, 60%. Were you in debt? Were you in bondage? Were you a slave or were you free? Now come on, help me out here. 50, 60, 70, 80%. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> you know, sometimes, Pastor, it's just my whole check. I said, who's unfair, God or the devil? Amen. Because serving God doesn't cost, it pays. Amen. So, Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that, Lord, it did not fall on deaf ears. It fell on fertile soil, and it will produce a harvest for your glory. We thank you for this, and I thank you for your blessing on your people and on this ministry, that people would reach their full potential in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.